Fight for 
seat. Good morning, church. Hope you all are doing great this morning. My name is Ethan, if we haven't had the chance to meet. And I'm the worship pastor here at Shelby Christian Church. And, you know, church, this week we're starting kind of a quick little mini-series right before Easter, and I'm really excited about it. It's based on this book that I recommended to Dave early on this year. It's called Holy Roar. And it's by Chris Tomlin and then his uh, pastor at his church in Nashville. And the whole book centers around the idea that in the English language, we've kind of missed what the word praise can mean. See, in the Hebrew language, specifically in Psalms, there are seven words that all mean praise, that all mean praise or that are translated as praise, but also have different meanings within that. And I'm really excited about this series, especially as a worship pastor, to really dive in and see what God's word says about how we worship. But before we get into the how, let's remember the why. You see, every week we take time to reflect upon Jesus' death on the cross. So today, as we're remembering that, let's remember the why. So let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your son and for your cross. It can be really easy, God, to get caught up in the the how we worship God without remembering the why we do it at all. For the way you pursued us through sending your son and offering him up as a perfect sacrifice to not only cover my sin or anyone else's here sin, but the sin of the whole world. God, let us never take that for granted. And let us worship you for it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His ends, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree.
Amen. 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 Thank you guys for being here today. Have a seat, man. I'm, I'm so glad that this week is here. I'm so glad. I was just, I was thinking about this morning driving in and I was thinking last year, <laughs> last year, the week leading up to Easter, it, it was, it, it was somewhat hard to get excited. It, it, it was, it was so different. And man, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you guys are here and that we've been able to relaunch in a powerful way and God's doing new things and almost 50 people have made public decisions for Christ already this year and folks are watching online and right now I need you guys to help me do a big favor because we got part of our team that is worshiping at our satellite campus in Guatemala City right now. So turn and look at a camera somewhere and wave. Uh, because all of our team is watching right now. Now get this, get this, it's 6.30 in Guatemala. So they're getting real about getting up and worshiping with us uh, this morning. So we're so delighted. If you are worshiping, we know that with it being spring break weekend, a lot of folks are traveling, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and so we've probably got satellite campuses all around the world today, especially around the beaches in the southeast U.S., I'm just guessing. So uh, we're hoping that over the next few services, some other folks are online worshiping with us. If you are online right now, thanks for doing that. And if you would, just in the comment bar, tell us who you are, where you're at, and so we can stay in touch with you that way. I want to ask you a question this morning. When was the last time that you got so excited about something that you just kind of broke into a celebration without even thinking about who was watching and what they might be thinking about your celebration? I was in either third or fourth grade once when that happened to me. I was standing at the pencil sharpener. You guys remember the ones that you actually turned? Okay. You know, and with my perfect, trying to get the perfect tip on my yellow number two pencil, you know, cause I didn't like it if it got dull. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sharpening my pencil and I noticed on the wall right there in front of the pencil sharpener in Mrs. Wilson's class, the school menu. And so I started looking down the school menu and I realized I should have already known because it was a, it was a weekly occurrence, but it dawned on me at that moment that it was Taco Tuesday. And I loved, now, the only thing better than Taco Tuesday was a square pizza Friday. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and don't judge me because you thought the same thing when I said that, okay? And so as a third or fourth grader, I had the realization that it's Taco Tuesday at Lansdowne Elementary School. And I got so excited that before I realized it, I let go of my pencil. I yelled, yeah, and I clapped my hands together really big. At which moment I realized the entire class is now looking at me with this strange, odd look, kind of like the look sometimes you get when you actually celebrate and worship. And people are wondering, why has he got his hands up? He's got a question. Does he, does he, you know, does he need to, need to have somebody help him out with something? See, it's the things that we do when we're not worried about anybody seeing. And so I want to ask again, when was the last time you got so excited about something that you let loose with a clap or a roar or a shout? 
and you really didn't care who saw you or heard you. And even further, when was the last time that that happened in worship? I was thinking about what are the things that we celebrate without even really thinking about it. Well, a lot of us would say it's March Madness. It's a different, it's a weird kind of March Madness, but it's March Madness. So for a lot of people, they, they would celebrate at athletic events. And, and, you know, people lose their mind at athletic events. You realize that, right? They absolutely lose their mind. Last Wednesday night, I got home, uh, I got home from our, our recovery program a little bit later, and there was only one game that was still on. I turned it on. It was a women's game, college game. It was Iowa State playing Texas A&M. And one of the girls at Iowa State, her dad was absolutely losing his mind. Uh, it had to, I, I hope it was a, a girl's dad because if it was just a dude, he was really losing his mind. But I mean, he's yelling, he's screaming. Unfortunately, Iowa State had a lead and they're losing the lead and Texas A&M's coming back and actually going in. And at one point, at one point, this guy's like running up and down the steps in the stadium, you know, just running up and down and flailing his hands and stuff like that. Well, he is in to that game. When was the last time we got that into something? What are the things that we celebrate? Maybe it's a job promotion and you walk in and all of a sudden you're not really even expected. You didn't apply for the boss calls you in the office and you always had that little, oh, I don't know what's this going to be. And instead of a pink slip, it's a promotion slip. And you're just so excited, you, you, you can't hardly believe it. There's extra pay, there's extra benefits. Maybe, maybe you got that excited when you sold your house. Even before you put it on the market, that's happening now. And, and, it, and you've gotten more than you really wanted for it. And you're just so excited because of what that does. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was the birth of a child that you didn't think you were going to be able to have. And you just got so excited that you really didn't care who was watching. You just had to celebrate. The Sunday... Before Jesus' death was an amazing day. It was an amazing day when the city of Jerusalem burst forth in this holy roar of excitement and worship. Now, Luke tells the story of that day, and I want to read it to you out of his gospel. And I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. I love the way it brings this to life. It says that, this is Luke 19, starting verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on to Jerusalem. Now, just before this, there's been all kinds of things that have been happening. He's been outside of the city, and he's getting ready to make what we now refer to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he came to the towns of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead of him. He said, go into the village over there. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks why you're untying it, just say, the Lord needs it. It's kind of a simple answer, right? Just, the Lord needs it. That's why I'm untying this. And so they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples replied, the answer they were told, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. I, as I read that this week, I just thought, oh, can, you know, can you imagine the owner? You know, these guys are taking your colt, and you ask why? And, they, well, the Lord needs it. And apparently he just said, okay, 
That just seemed kind of odd to me. People are beginning to know that something's happening. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now, I want you to catch this. As he rode, uh, as he rode along, the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Now, stop. I want you to think of a parade. I want you to think of any parade that you have ever been to before. Maybe it was as simple as a homecoming parade. Maybe it was as simple as a Christmas parade here in town. Maybe you got to be somewhere and you got to see a presidential parade. Or maybe you've been in New York and you've been at Macy's for a parade. Have you ever been motivated when you were at a parade to take off your coat and throw it out on the ground for those in the parade to march over? And this is a guy riding a colt. And they're throwing their coats, their outer garments on the ground. And and when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, he's kind of making the descent now down in Jerusalem. All of his followers began to shout and to sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want us to practice that just for a second. And we'll just do it in the more traditional thing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Ready? Here we go. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right? Let's say it really softly, okay? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let's build it up. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I just imagine that's how it was going that day. The farther he marched, the more the people begin to cheer and to chant and get excited. But some of the Pharisees, catch this, verse 39, some of the Pharisees, some of the religious elite, some of the people who had been going to the synagogue every day of their life, some of the people who thought they knew how to do church, some of those people said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus tells them, okay, but if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into these same cheers. If they are quiet, the rocks and the trees will cry out. See, Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, not in royal splendor. He's riding on a colt. It's not a spectacular parade. It doesn't have marching bands. He's just riding in on a colt. And with no instruction at all, the people spontaneously take off their coats and their robes and they throw them on the ground. The people spontaneously begin to shout and to sing praises. The people spontaneously are are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see really quickly. There was nothing planned. There's nothing rehearsed. Just spontaneous praise that created a holy roar of worship throughout Jerusalem. I I bet it was awesome. I I bet it was awesome. Where our church is located, we're really close to one of the high schools in the football stadium. And from our parking lot on a Friday night of a home game, 
you could hear the cheers. You could see the lights from a distance. I wonder if it was kind of that same feeling of being able to hear the cheers and the celebration and, and that the little bit of wondering what's going on and wanting to make your way closer to it just as this spontaneous praise broke out. What would happen in, in churches around the world today? And not only in Shelbyville on the hill, but in Guatemala City. In places all around the world where we know of people who worship our friends in Madagascar, our friends in Pakistan, our, our friends in Poland and, and in Italy and all around the country. What if there was this spontaneous, holy roar of worship? You know what it reminds me of? You ever been sitting outside on the deck and you hear a siren? You, you hear a siren in the distance. And you begin to listen more intently to see which direction it's going. And isn't there a part of you that when you hear that siren, you begin to wonder, what's going on? Wouldn't it be cool if the holy roar of worship in God's churches today caused the outside world to wonder, what's going on? i got to go find out. See, the Bible's full of stories of spontaneous praise. In the Old Testament, the, the ark had, had been taken away and the ark has been recovered and the ark of the covenant has been returned to the temple. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting verse 12 says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Odom uh, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David... Oh my goodness, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. What's wrong with him? And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord up with shouting and with the sound of the horn and people all around. What's going on? Because they could hear a holy roar of worship breaking out and it was drawing them. Jesus' ministry was so full, so full. It would take the rest of the day to talk about all the times that spontaneous worship broke out because of Jesus. One such incident was in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to, to have dinner with him. And so Jesus goes to this guy's house, and when a certain immoral woman... The writers of the Bible are appropriate. The translators of the Bible are appropriate. They, they, try, to, they, they try to soften the, the criticism and the condemnation. Immoral woman, she's done a lot of bad stuff with a whole lot of people. She's broken. She's wounded. She's been used and thrown out as city garbage trash. But she found out that Jesus was eating there. 
And she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. It was all she had left to her name, most likely. And when she got there, she knelt behind him at his feet, just tears streaming down her face. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kissed his feet and put that expensive perfume on him as an act of worship. The only chance I've got, the only chance I've got is you, Jesus. The only chance that any of us have is Jesus. But would we be more afraid of being undignified or being viewed as What's wrong with them? Would we clap our hands at the pencil sharpener and shout, yeah, this is my only chance? And will we bow and worship? See, some of the greatest worship can come from the most unlikely source. And this woman, she's this outcast. As I said, used and abused. But something about the words and actions of Jesus caused her to bring this expensive gift to bow at his feet and to worship him. It happened over and over again. Over and over again, the angels would sing. People would bow down because they just couldn't help but worship. Which brings me to a huge question that I've been wrestling with for quite a while. Why are we so scared to worship? I've spent so much time in the Word in the last three weeks getting ready for today. All the praise in the Psalms that we're going to look at, all the praises in the Old Testament of David bringing the ark back and other things like that, All the praise in the Gospels and the praise at the triumphal entry, all of those things happen before the miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which caused worship to break out in a whole new way. Now, there was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at conception at that level because God in the very beginning went to the the Trinity. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they were all there from the very beginning. And let's make God, let's make man in our own image. And then the psalmist wrote that while I was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And so there's that, that part of the Holy Spirit's impact on our life before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus in that powerful way. But so the Holy Spirit's been working and all through the Old Testament and the Gospels leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that we'll celebrate next Sunday. All of those things were leading people to worship before the day of Pentecost and the miraculous kind of worship stuff that happened then. And, and, and we get scared though. We get scared. We get scared of the Holy Spirit and the, what it might cause somebody to do in worship. Blaise Pascal originated the idea of this God-shaped hole inside the heart of every man. He wrote about it in 1670. 1670. 350 years ago. He's writing about this. He said there was a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God our Creator made known through His Son, Christ Jesus. So you've got the Trinity, God in one. 
the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There from creation, there from the beginning. And then you have this decision to allow Jesus to become God in flesh and come to dwell among us for a season. For a season of 33 years. For a season that Jesus was here. And then when he left, he said, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit who is going to come and comfort you, but empower you in many great ways. And that was the promise from Jesus. So why do we get so scared of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our worship? We're part of a tradition or a movement called the Restoration Movement. And we kind of sometimes take great pride in it. Those of us who know anything about it, we kind of take great pride in that it started here. It started right here in Kentucky. It started less than 100 miles away from here in Bourbon County, just outside of Paris, in this little community called Cane Ridge. It's widely known as the birthplace of the Restoration Movement. This guy named Barton W. Stone assembled this, this revival in August of 1801. And, and at that revival, this movement was started that, that, that had its foundation in statements like, where, where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible's silent, we're going to be silent. In other words, we won't call things scripture that are just opinions. But we're going to focus on God's word. And we had statements like, we're not the only Christians, but Christians only. <laughs> An effort not to be divided by the name on the front of the church but to be united in the name of Jesus. And yet we've gotten to the point that we want to pick and choose. We did that whole series, The Separation of Church and Hate, and one of the hardest things about that whole idea is that sometimes the separation needs to be between churches that hate each other. Churches that say they're worshiping Jesus, they just got a different name on the front of the church. The Jesus is the name that unites us, and in essentials we'll have unity. And opinions will have liberty, but in all things we'll have love. And at that revival, the, the foundation is laid for a movement that has radically changed our world in the last 220 years. It, it, was, a, it was a significant gathering. Just think about this. 1,801, upwards of 25,000 people showed up in Bourbon County, Kentucky for this revival. And the praise and the worship was intense. There, there were things that happened at that revival that would cause some people just to like be in shock. There are some recorded descriptions that I found of that revival that gave birth to a movement of churches like ours. It said the exhortations increased. The moaning, more intense hymns, singing, which affected people most deeply, became even louder. Unrestrained uh, exercises resumed. The preachers could hardly be heard for the worship. Some singing, some shouting, clapping their hands, hugging and even kissing, laughing. Others talking to those that were distressed and helping one another or opposers of the work. And all of this at once. And for days, the singing and the praying and the preaching and the falling out continued. Few could comprehend, let alone describe what happened. Barton W. Stone himself said, a particular description of this meeting would fill a large volume and then, then half of it would not be told. So why are we so worried? Palm Sunday, the, the day before, or the week before, excuse me, the week before the greatest day in history, 
had to happen, all as leading up to that greatest day in history. And there was a holy roar of worship that took over. You know, Gary Smalley is a, is, is a Christian counselor, psychologist, and, and he wrote the book about the different love language, love language we have. He said, we all have a dominant love language. It's how we receive love. And, it, and typically, whatever your love language is, is typically how you share love as well. Because, you know, we think, okay, if this makes me feel loved, it will make everybody feel loved. And so one of the struggles that couples sometimes have is we're sharing the wrong love language. We need to be sharing our partner's love language, but we share our own because we think that would make sense to them. But think of it this way. What if we, what if we made a pact this week? To figure out our own individual love language and to show our love for the Lord in that way this week. Maybe it's expressing it in words uh, uh, of praise or in acts of service to him. Maybe it's through care and concern and prayer. Maybe it's by spending time with him and bringing him a gift of our time. Maybe it's reaching out to touch someone in a very positive way in the name of Jesus. Remember as... You do these things, though. Remember what Jesus said? As you do unto the least of these, you do also unto me. As Ethan mentioned earlier, there are seven Hebrew words that are translated as praise. And, and while they all become translated, and when you read in, the, in, in your scripture, they all would say just praise, it's important to understand the different contexts or the connotation of the various words. So I just want to run through these and it's not a Hebrew. There won't be a Hebrew test. You don't have to learn how to write. That was the hardest part of Hebrew for me in school was making the letters. They're much harder than Greek. But anyway, uh, the, the first word that we see is the word yada. Yada. It simply means to revere or worship with extended hands. To hold out the hands. It's almost as if, and it's used oftentimes in the Hebrew language, as if to throw a stone or an arrow. It's just that extended hand of praise and of worship. You know, it's in the context of worship, it's described moments when the Hebrew people were so overcome, overcome, with the glory of the Lord, that their hands shot up in response. In Psalm 67.3, listen to the words of the psalmist. May the people's yada, may the people praise, yada you. <coughs> may the people's praise, yada you. Yada is non-constrained to a particular time in history. Yada is an active posture of praise that's expressed by those who adore God. Not just now, not just then, but for all eternity. Yada. What if our praise was yada? Sometimes you might be in a gathering and they might be having prayer over someone and the, the, the leader, the preacher might say, would you just everybody here just extend your hands toward the person? That's yada. That's yada. I, I'm just casting my, my praise and my worship of God toward you. Yada. It's a, it's a form of praise. The second one, we need to keep moving. I got seven of these in a few minutes here. The second one is halal. Halal. 
means to boast. We don't think that's right sometimes, but to boast in the Lord, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to be glamorously foolish. Uh, Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? Or or maybe if you haven't had that opportunity to be to a Jewish wedding, maybe you've watched one on TV and movie. Maybe you saw Fiddler on the Roof. And, and you saw a Jewish wedding playing out, and you saw the dancing, the almost uncontrolled people dancing and smiling and laughing and singing. See, halal is that concept. It's that idea. It's the Hebrew word for praise for which we get our word hallelujah. Let's raise a hallelujah, a halal. We already did that this morning, right? We raised a hallelujah. And halal is used throughout the book of Psalms. In chapter 69, verse 30, we halal God's name in song. In chapter 22, verse 22, it says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will halal you. In Psalm 109:30, it says, in the great throng of worshipers, I will halal you. I will celebrate you. In Psalm 149, verse 3, it says, let the praise halal his name with dancing and make music to him with the tremble and the harp. And Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything, let everything, let everything that has breath halal the Lord. Praise and worship the Lord. Third Hebrew word we want to look at is the word zamar. It means to make music, to celebrate in song and music, to to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. This word's used 41 times in scripture, almost all of them here in the book of Psalms. It's so important for us to understand how powerful how powerful music is to our worship. Music has this amazing, amazing effect. All sorts of music, all sorts of music have this amazing effect. Some, some types of music energize you. Some types of music calm you. But when it comes to worship, it can soften our hearts. It can soothe our souls. But it paves It paves the path for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Psalm 144, verse 9 says, I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises, zamar. I will zamar to you. In Psalm 57, verse 7, it says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give zamar, give praise to you. See, making music, that zamar, it's a gift. Guys, if, if you're a musician, man, I, I, I just envy musicians so much. Uh, I, I t- I've told Todd many times before, I, I used to play the keyboard when I was a kid, and I gave it up for sports, and, and now I wish I could just go and sit and do what he does. Just sit and play. And not have to have music. Just sit and play. Or these guys playing guitars. Just to be able to sit and to play. And to do it sometimes just for fun. But to do it a lot of times as an act of worship. This is just a gift. 
that you've given me. And so I would ask any of you that are musically inclined, when's the last time you just sat down and played or sat down and sang or stood and just gave praise to God, to Zamar, through the act of music? Todah. Tadal is our fourth Hebrew word. It's another extension of hand. But this time, it's a total thanksgiving for things not yet received. For things not yet received. You know, in kindergarten, what are two of the first things you learn? To When you want something, you say... Y'all go to kindergarten? When you want something, you say, please. When you get it, you say... How do we say thank you before we even get it? See, that's this idea of todah. It's being thankful for things even before we receive them. Now, quite often it's based on past experience. It's based on past experience. I know that I've received. I know that God has taken care of every need that I've ever had. And and I've thanked him for the ones when he's done it. But what if I started realizing that because he's always done it before, he's going to do it again. And I became thankful for things that I haven't even received yet. As an act of confession. A sacrifice of praise. See, this type of praise is joyful. It's an expectation of a blessing that's to come. It's remembering all the good times when God showed up before. When God showed up before. When the marriage was on the rocks and God showed up. When the kids were struggling and God showed up. When the job wasn't going well and, the, and God showed up. Whatever it was, when the doctor had said it was cancer and God showed up and you're still here. It's remembering all those things and because of all those things, being able to be thankful for what he's yet to do. For what he's yet to bless you with. The psalmist used this word todah as a form of confession of total faith in the hand of God. It's a moment when you don't really even know what you need. But you know that God does. And he'll provide it. It's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. When he talks about the spirit interpreting our groans, when we don't even know what to say. And it's coming out in this this guttural groan of anxiety and the spirit knows and God interprets and blesses us. Barak. Barak means to kneel. To bless God. It's it's a blessing of God as an act of adoration. It's kneeling as an act of adoration to praise, to salute, to thank. See, from the earliest times in history of the world, kneeling was a symbolic gesture of reverence and pleading to God. Oh, how our world has changed. When was the last time you were driven to your knees? Unfortunately, as a culture, we've evolved to kneeling in protest or desperation, but rather seldomly in total reverence for who God is and what we anticipate that he's about to do. 
We teach our kids, you know, okay, it's time to pray. And some things that we would typically say with kids, it's time to pray. You need to bow your head, close your eyes. Or if it's bedtime, you what? You need to kneel at the side of your, your bed. We say that. But, but when someone kneels in public worship today, it's kind of like clapping your hands at the pencil sharpener. People wonder what's wrong. And did they fall? Do they need help? Do they get up? Instead of understanding that it's this valuable form of adoration and worship, my prayer, my prayer this week is that our worship would sometimes drive us to our knees. Just like a gut punch of something we don't want to hear. But that our worship of a holy God would cause us to barak, to kneel and to praise. Barak, Psalm 103, the first two verses. Barak the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Praise or hadal, his holy name. Barak the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his blessings. Tehillah. Tehillah is a Hebrew word for a hymn. A song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. I want you to think back to the day of that triumphal entry. Go back to our text in Luke 19. Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. Here's some things I'm confident of that, that I'm just confident of. I'm confident that as they started down the hill into the city, that nobody passed out hymnals. That there were no song sheets that were passed out along the road. There were no big screens with words on them along the way. People just broke out into spontaneous worship, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to keep saying it until you join me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was just spontaneous. It was a holy roar. Psalm 63, 1 says, I will, uh, I will Shabbat. Excuse me, I, I jumped to number seven. <laughs> number seven is Shabbat. And it's a loud dress and a loud tone. To shout. <laughs> to shout. To be at the pencil sharpener and yell, yeah, we're having tacos today. But to do it is worship. To address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory and triumph. the last word is just as spontaneous. It causes this roar. And Psalm 63, one says, I will sabak you as long as I live. In your name will I lift up my hands. It's the kind of thing that happens around here now when someone's baptized. I love it. I love it. You guys don't ever let me down because when I'm backstage with someone who's getting ready to get baptized... (laughs) 
I tell them, as soon as we get in the water and as soon as you're baptized, as soon as you come up out of the water, I want you to listen. Have your ears open. I want you to listen because I want you to hear the applause and the celebration because the Bible tells us, Jesus clearly tells us that's what's going on in heaven every time a lost sinner comes home. And so when people come up out of the water, I want them to hear the celebration because there's going to be days in their life that they're not going to be in the same mood that they're in when they're in that water. Life's going to get hard. Life's going to get tough. And in that moment, they're going to feel like they're all alone. And they need to hear the Shabbat, the loud roar of celebration of all you guys saying, we got your back. We're here for you. We're here for you. And we need to have that same kind of celebration. That same kind of celebration when we worship. I would love to sense that Shabbat every Sunday. I'm going to give you a hint. I think it'd be so cool. I think it would even be biblical based on this word Shabbat. If the anticipation grew each Sunday in every service as the countdown screen approaches zero. And we see the 10, and it'd be so cool if everybody's already in the room kind of started yelling out loud, 10, let's get ready. Nine, you, you guys out in the hall, you better get in here. Eight, I can hardly wait to worship. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. It's what we do at a ball game. And what if we did it in worship? And as we got the one, the band kicks it in and let's go, let's roar in worship of a holy God. Let me wrap this stuff up. I want to conclude by saying very clearly, I do believe, I do believe in what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that that our public worship needs to be done in decency and in order. There's a line that can be crossed when things become confusing, therefore distracting to unbelievers, and we don't want to cross that line. But guys, listen to me very closely. I also believe with all of my heart that the unbelieving world that comes and makes their way into a worship service, ours or anybody's, and they're struggling and they're hurting and they're looking for hope, that when they make that, when they make that one day decision that they're going to show up and they're going to give it a chance, that the unbelieving world should walk into worship and they should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the believers that are there assembled really do believe what they say we, we believe. And it can be seen in the way we worship. We need to act like we believe what we say we believe and that may just cause a holy roar of worship. See, we're, sometimes we're afraid, of, we're afraid of our emotions, aren't we? We're really afraid of our emotions during worship makes us really uncomfortable because we've allowed generations to get uncomfortable and it's been passed on and passed on and passed on I'm at the back end of life and ministry and I hate that it took me years to realize that God was okay with with me being emotional when I worship. That not only was he okay with it, he kind of loves it. He kind of loves it. Just like I loved watching my kids celebrate victories. And just like I, I love watching my granddaughters jump up and down and celebrate. 
And, and of all the things that, that happened last week, and we had a fantastic night of worship, but that I got to be right over there with my, my two youngest granddaughters and to watch my four-year-old granddaughter dance as we worshiped just caused something in here that doesn't happen any other way. I want her to always love to worship because I want her to know what God has done for us and how he blessed us with Jesus as the only way we could get out of our problems. You see, the bottom line today is being forgiven of all of our sins is a very emotional thing. And, and, and I just don't want to depend on talking rocks to let God know how much I appreciate everything he did by allowing Jesus to die for my sins. I want to worship. I want us to have a holy roar of worship that causes the outside world to wonder what's going on up on the hill and be drawn to that. And that starts with understanding how much God loves you and that Jesus died for you and to praise his name in everything you do. Would you guys stand with me? If you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would just challenge you to really think hard about that. We'd love to do it today, or maybe you just need some time to talk about it. We already know of a couple baptisms that are planned for next Sunday on Easter Sunday. What an awesome day to give your life to Jesus on Easter Sunday. And so maybe you need to make plans now to let that be part of your Easter celebration next week. Maybe you want to come and talk to Jason about that. Dennis is back here. we got people who can talk to you. Or maybe you just need to right now let loose with a holy roar of worship as we sing together. Shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the light, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Come on, church, let's praise Him today. This week's going to be phenomenal. 
This week's going to be phenomenal. Now, let me remind you about a couple of things. First of all, it is spring break, and so on Wednesday night, we won't have any of our children's programming. So for any of life groups that want to go ahead and meet, you're welcome to go ahead and meet. We just don't have children's programming and child care and stuff like that. So if you take the week off, you may need to do that. But if child care is not an issue, go ahead and meet. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. But then next weekend, it starts on Friday night. Friday night at 7 o'clock will be our Good Friday service. Uh, it will be a little bit different from Saturday and Sunday. So if you want to come Friday in, either Saturday or Sunday, it's great. But it'll have a Good Friday service, just a, a reverent time of worship. Uh, and then just the celebration, the holy roar of celebration. Uh, that'll take place Saturday at 5.30, Saturday at 7, and then Sunday at our regular three scheduled times. If you're a regular here, let me just challenge you. We would love it if maybe you would consider uh, serving uh, on Saturday night and worshiping on Sunday or vice versa, serving on Saturday night uh, or or worshiping on Saturday night and serving on Sunday uh, because we anticipate. I just know that each week more and more people are coming back and feeling confident and coming back into the house of worship and things are starting to look a little bit more normal. We've even got coffee. uh, And so uh, we just uh, are anticipating a huge, huge celebration next week. So if you would check out Easter at scc.org. If you don't have bumper stickers, get them, put them on for a week, please. Just do Dave a favor, put them on, just let people know something big's happening on the hill next week, okay? If this is your first time with us, thanks for being here today. Out in the lobby, there's a big orange wall that says, I'm new. Stop out there. Brett's got a gift for you. Let's have an awesome week and let's let worship roar so that people are drawn to Jesus. Let's go change the world. See you guys.